We're finishing um, the parable series this morning as we get into the Christmas season. The text this morning is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks, Cindy. Good morning, current family. Uh, Happy week of Thanksgiving. It's really easy to take even the most wonderful things in life for granted, is it not? Think about California weather. You know, if you've, if you've lived here for any length of time, you, you've probably gotten to the place where you could easily take it for granted. I grew up in San Diego and then was raised more or less in Berkeley, so in the Bay Area. Extreme weather in the Bay Area is like 40 degrees. It's like when it rains, we Californians don't know what to do with ourselves. Like, what's this water that falls from the sky? How do I drive? Um, in San Diego, extreme weather is like 64 degrees. It's like, it's like the few days of the year where it moves out of that range of 73 to 75 degrees. Um, I, when uh, Cindy and I lived in China for two years, uh, it didn't take too long, especially living in Beijing, for it to really whip this California uh, native into shape. Uh, there were a few days, especially in the winter, um, where the wind chill was just so cold that people would literally walk backwards to their location. Uh, if you left any skin exposed on your way to wherever you're going, if you're walking around, it was going to be numb by the time you got there. I'll never forget when I got back to California, I was standing in a line at a grocery store, and there was two gals behind me who were talking to one another, and one said, oh my goodness, can you believe how cold it is today? Can you believe? It's freezing. It's 55 degrees out. And I remember thinking in the bottom of my soul, like, never again am I going to complain about the weather in California. It's easy to take wonderful things in life for granted. Uh, Take, for instance, your health. Uh, Many of you know that I've been diagnosed with an autoimmune arthritis condition. Uh, Before they finally diagnosed me, I was getting to the place where I was almost bedridden. So just being able to walk around was becoming a challenge, let alone standing up here and doing things like this. So when they finally did diagnose me, I was just so thankful 
just to get on medication that kind of has stabilized uh, my, my condition somewhat, meaning I can't quite do the vigorous things I used to, but I can walk around, I can stand. Last week at a partner church, I was able to stand for three services preaching. I was like, man, I can go some more. And that's a huge answer to prayer if you know my story. But the bottom line of that is I have grown to appreciate and not take for granted even the most simple things when it comes to health. I am talking walking around, being able to stand for short periods of time, uh, we can take things for granted, su- such wonderful things like relationships, uh, and not really appreciate those as much as we ought to. Cindy and I have been married for 11 years, and as wonderful and amazing of a person as she is, can I take her for granted? Unfortunately, yes, I can. What this text shows us today is it's easy for us to take for granted the most important of all things there is, and that is a relationship with God. Now, if you're here today and you're not Christian, you don't identify as, as, a, as a Christian, uh, you might be thinking, oh, what, what's this going to have to say to me today? Well, I hope in part this would be helpful to you, one, in the sense of helping you have some principles in terms of not taking for granted different things that we can take for granted in life. But two, and more importantly, I hope that you hear today why it is a relationship with God is the most important of all things and why it is, it is worth receiving and worth not taking for granted. And then if you are Christian, uh, let me prime the pump with you today as we, as we get into things with these questions. Are there ways in which you might be taking your relationship with God for granted? Or are there ways in which you aren't as grateful or thankful as that relationship would warrant? Uh, I think we see today in this text how not to take Him in our relationship with God for granted or to state positively, we see how we can cultivate, how we can develop a heart of gratitude for the most important thing of all, God Himself and our relationship with Him. And here's what's mind-boggling at the, at the start of this text. The way that God chose to elevate this idea of not taking things for granted was to use a woman who was known for, quote, living a life of sin. In other words, a woman who's in all likelihood a prostitute. That's the person God chose, hey, if you're going to model yourself after someone in terms of cultivating a heart of gratitude, look to her. Isn't that interesting? And at the same time, if you were listening as that text was read, who's the person who's modeling what not to do? Who's the person who missed it and is taking things for granted? Ironically, it's the religious man, Simon the Pharisee. Uh, So let me pray, and then then we'll, we'll get into ways in which we can cultivate a heart of gratitude. Father, it, is, it really is true. It is so easy to take even the most wonderful things in life for granted, even life itself. And for those of us who are followers of you, Lord, we, we just confess here at the top, if we're real about it, it really is easy to take for granted our relationship with you, the most wonderful thing of all. So, Father, today as we look at this text, would you speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls, and would you give each of us what you'd have for us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're told that Jesus was invited over to the house of Simon for dinner. And this is kind of interesting because he's a Pharisee, that is a religious leader, and by this point in Luke's gospel account, chapter 7, his biographical account of Jesus, things are already starting to heat up with this religious party, with the Pharisees. So much so that in not too long of time, the Pharisees will actually come together, plot against Jesus, arrest him, set up a false trial, and ultimately execute him. Well, here in chapter 7, things are apparently still okay because Simon says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and invite him over. Whether he's actually interested in learning from Jesus or he just wants to do the sniff test with Jesus, we don't know. But he has him over. And so, verse 36, they're reclining at his table. 
Now, it's important for us to quit real quickly to understand so we can set the scene. This was not a table like we have today in our Western culture, right, where we have a table of about waist high and chairs that we pull up to, which you're probably going to be doing for Thanksgiving here in a few days. Uh, the tables back then were down here uh, at floor level, and what you did is you kicked your feet outwards and you, re you, you reclined inwards with your head facing the food, facing the host. So it was a very intimate setting. The other thing we need to understand is that... Uh, these meals were very publicly open. So this gal, when she comes in and she does all the things that she's doing, that's not like she was breaking and entering. Uh, when I was first reading this text, I'm like, what, what's going on? How'd she get in there? And what's, what's... Actually, what, what I learned in my study this week is that was actually totally fine. That's no... In fact, if there was a, a, a prominent teacher coming through, it was all the more people were allowed to do that, provided they weren't like gobbling up all the food, you know, provided you were kind of hanging out in the, in the back, just kind of taking it all in. But as Luke uh, mentions here, as we stated before, she was known, this gal, as living a life of sin. In fact, he also says that she was a woman in that town. Now, even if you're not from a small town, you know what Luke here is indicating. Okay? It, Luke is saying, this is a small town, folks. Everybody knew who this woman was and what she's about. Anybody raised in a small town? In America, yes, you know what the deal is. Uh, everybody, and this is before the days of Netflix and all that sort of thing. What was the form of entertainment in towns like these? Gossip and all. So everybody knew this, who this gal was, what she was about. And by the way, even if they didn't, there's enough signs here actually in this text to help us know, okay, that's, that's what's going on. And so when she starts to weep at Jesus' feet and wipe his feet with her tears and kiss them, and pour out the perfume on them, Simon the Pharisee begins to question Jesus' authority in it all. This guy can't be a prophet. He can't have the authority that he's claiming to have. Does he not know what kind of woman this is? A sinner? And Jesus shows us that not only does he know the heart of this woman, he also knows the heart of the one questioning the heart of this woman and questioning him. In verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, real quickly, this is something that's really been sticking out in my reading of the Scriptures recently, in my, in my own personal study, is how nice Jesus is with the judgmental people. How nice He is with those who aren't very patient and kind, how incredibly patient and kind He is with them. Because by Luke chapter 7, you know that Jesus really loves the quote-unquote sinners. He was known for hanging out with the quote-unquote sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. That is people notoriously for, uh, notorious for being greedy in that society. Jesus loved them and was spending as much time as he could with them. And here's this Pharisee looking down his nose at this gal. Look, if I were Jesus, I would have been like, look, punk. But what does Jesus do? I mean, this is incredible. What does Jesus do? He says, Simon, calls him by name. I have something to tell you. Which, before we launch into get, getting back into the main thought of this message, let me just ask you, how are you at responding to people who don't see eye to eye with you? Or to just press this home a little bit, how are you at responding with people who maybe see things differently, you know, on the other side of the political aisle from you? Maybe you're in a heated situation, and you're just really convinced you're right. How do you respond? Jesus responded with love for everybody. Always patient, always kind. He's not even judging the judgmental, which is awesome. You know what that means, Christians, or all human beings? You know what that means for us? It means there's hope for us. Because if, even if we're unwilling to recognize it right away, there's a little bit of Simon or a lot of bit of Simon in all of us. Simon, Jesus answered, I have something to tell you. Verse 40, tell me, teacher, he said. 
And then Jesus launches into a short, to-the-point parable. Two people, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, just real quick, a denarius was equivalent to one day's wage, okay? So meaning even, even the 50, uh, 50 denarii amount was, was substantial. Verse 41, one owed him 500, one owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, which is kind of interesting. I feel like he knows it's getting ready to come home to roost for him. I suppose, Jesus, now that you mention it, the one who had the bigger debt, forgive him. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Which, what a powerful thing going on right there. Not only is he like giving an object lesson to uh, Simon, but he's showing very powerfully this display of affirmation and love to this woman who Simon had just been looking down upon. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that empowering? Simon, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. What Jesus is saying to Simon is, Simon, you're missing it. You're missing out on what's the most important thing. You're taking for granted who God is for you and what He offers, namely the forgiveness of sins. You know, a lot of people will say that Jesus is just a good teacher. Maybe that's you today. A lot of people, hey, who's Jesus? Well, He's just some good moral teacher. Um, that was true back in Simon's day. For, for instance, if you look at verse 40, that's who Jesus was to Simon. Tell me, teacher, he said. But if we are to take Jesus on his own terms, we are not given that option just to say he's a good teacher. I mean, you and I, we can, we can believe that if we want. We can, just, we can just chalk it up, oh, he's a good teacher. But by his own terms, what we actually have to do is wrestle with whether or not Jesus is God. Um, I've heard it over the years say that, well, Jesus never in any of these stories claimed to be God. I've heard that a number of times, and that's true. He never says, I am God, but he does say it in any other ways. For instance, there's this one time where he's like, before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, I am. And everybody looked to stone him at that time because they knew what he was claiming. But if you look at this text, all we need to do is look at this text. Um, you see that, one, he's saying that he has the right to forgive sins. And if you read down further in the story, you see that the religious leaders knew what he was claiming there and we're not happy with him claiming to be God. And number two, Jesus is straight up receiving what this woman is doing is worship. Um, did any of you, when we were reading the story, like recognize how awkward the situation probably was? Right? They're sitting around this table, Simon with all his Pharisee friends, and this woman is there just weeping, not too far from Jesus. I mean, I'm six foot two. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like not too far from Jesus. And Jesus is the one who breaks the silence and just starts, you know, when, when he just recognizes that Simon's having these thoughts. The only way for us to recognize that this wasn't weird, that Jesus didn't stop her and be like, what are you doing, is if we recognize that he is claiming to be God. Because what he was doing is receiving what she was doing as worship, receiving her heart of gratitude. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God came in the flesh to die for the sins of the world to die for all of us in ways that we cannot save ourselves. 
to make a way back into relationship with God possible. That's what this parable is all about. Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if you were the one with, with the 500 denarii debt or the 50, neither of them had the money to pay it back, but he forgave them both. And the sad irony here is the religious guy is the one who's missing this, while it's this woman who's known for living a life of sin gets it, and Jesus commends her. So through her, I want to look at four ways, four ways real quickly here, that we can cultivate and express a heart of gratitude towards God. Okay, four ways. First one is we express gratitude in humility. Okay, this woman understood and acted from a place of knowing that she did not deserve God's love and care. For her to cry out this way, for her to weep and to go through all of this this, this, this expression, she was coming from a brokenness of heart, saying, I don't deserve you, but I'm grateful. I think one of the reasons uh, why it's so easy for us to take wonderful things for granted, including and especially often a relationship with God, is because somehow deep down we begin to live from the perspective or the posture of, I bring something to the table. I'm owed something. Of course, we never articulate it that way, but that's how we function. I think one of the reasons Christians are known for being hypocritical, for being self-righteous, is because they, because we, begin to believe I'm holier, that I'm not like those people. Even if it's never articulated, that's the posture. But the gospel is none of us deserve to be forgiven. None of us, period. And you know, with this parable, Jesus was not making a grand theological statement saying this woman basically owed God 500 denarii and, and Simon owned, owned 50. He was not making a big theological statement in that regard. The big theological statement he was making is neither of them could have paid their debt back, and yet God forgave them. Elsewhere where the Scriptures are clear making big theological statements to that regard, it says everyone, everyone, meaning whether you're Simon the Pharisee or you're this woman who's known for living a life of sin. Everyone's heart is deceitfully wicked. Um, we all need help. We all can't do this. And so when we get into the business of comparisons, we fall into sort of an absurdity. Uh, there was a pastor, actually my dad's pastor, who used to say it this way, comparing the amount of sin between two individuals is like comparing the circumference, circumference of two gnats. I mean, it's just, it's just insanely ridiculous. Like, what? It, it doesn't make sense. The Apostle Paul, who ended up writing a lot of the New Testament, was a man who in this first part of his life lived as a Pharisee with impeccable reputation. So impeccable that he would have made Simon here, the Pharisee, look like small potatoes in terms of his devotion towards God. And yet, you know what Paul said of himself later on? He said, the more I live life, the more I realize how sinful I am, essentially. This woman is showing us that we cannot forget that. We need to live with a heart of humility. How do we cultivate a heart of gratitude for the most wonderful thing of all? We remind ourselves that we don't deserve it, and yet He loves us. Uh, that's where cultivating a heart of gratitude begins. I think I've mentioned this before from the stage, but there's this guy I run into every once in a while at the office that we, we rent from, a, a church in the area in Sunnyvale, uh, a guy who's on uh, that church's uh, board of elders. And every time I see him, this guy's name's Jim, I ask him what I typically ask most folks when I haven't seen them for a while. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? And he, without fail, always responds just automatically, oh, you know, the smile, better than I deserve, which is so cool because I know him well enough to know that he's not hiding some sort of like axe-murdering past in the background. Like, what do you mean better than you deserve? Like, what are you telling, telling me? Like, he's a great guy. He works as a chaplain for the Sunnyvale Police Department. He serves those who are serving people. 
Uh, so what is he saying when he says, oh, better than I deserve? He's saying, I don't deserve all the kindnesses in life that, that, that life affords to me, that God's given me. I live each day with gratitude. And whenever I leave Jim and he's given me that response, I'm always like, man, if I could just live more with that heart posture. Or if we Christians could live more with that heart posture. Could you imagine how wonderful that would be, the impact we would have? How do we create a heart of gratitude? We express it in humility. Number two, we express it with action. Uh, This woman didn't just think Jesus was amazing. She didn't just have a grateful heart. She found ways to tangibly express it. Uh, We could just list it out. She learned where he was staying. She planned and brought what she would use. It says that that she stood behind him. She wept. She washed. She wiped. She kissed. She poured out her perfume. She, in other words, put her gratitude and devotion to Jesus in action. Could you imagine if, in all, with all my love for Cindy, I never ever said it, or I never did anything in that regard? Um, this woman, in her, in her uh, expressing gratitude, did, did it with action. She put tangible thoughts behind it. She did that in two ways, by the way. First of all, we see that she did this by serving Jesus. That's one of the ways that we can express and develop a heart of gratitude, is we serve God. And the amazing thing is, God in His infinite wisdom has set it up in such a way that when we do serve Him, it's like He's pouring into us all the more. Have you ever experienced this when you serve? Maybe when you just pour out and you just care for those who maybe just aren't even like caring back for you, but you just, that's what I'm going to do. Have you ever done that and realized that often you are more blessed on the flip side of that than you were going in thinking you were going to be the one imparting the blessing? Have you ever experienced that? There's a lot of teams here in our, from our current groups who have been going to Project We Hope in East Palo Alto serving the homeless uh, population there and, and around. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful organization, but that's been the feedback we've been getting is everybody's been coming out like, wow, this is so wonderful. Wait, I thought you were supposed to do the wonderful work. Wink. No. It's like, no. There's wonderful things happening there, but we're also being blessed ourselves. There's this gal named Mrs. Miss Joyce. If you've been, you know Miss Joyce. She's a stalwart of a stalwart force of love and care in the community. And I'll tell you, you serve along Miss Joyce, you want as much of Miss Joyce just to rub off on you. She's an incredibly strong but loving, caring person. And that's what happens when we serve. It's not only do, just, do we just realize, uh, do we get to serve, but we get to be poured into. We realize how grateful for, for, for life we are. And that doesn't just come in the ways of, well, they're just less fortunate, so I'm grateful for what I have. No. It's seeing God's goodness in things that aren't always connected to material things or whatever it might be. Uh, we express and cultivate a heart of gratitude by serving. Uh, many of you serve on Sunday teams. Uh, this, is, this, too, is a way we express and cultivate a heart of gratitude for God's goodness to us. Uh, one of the joys, yes, joys of setting up and tearing down each week is it tangibly reminds us that church isn't just a place we go to, but a people living in mission. That as we sit here today and we learn about God, as we worship Him, as we develop relationships with one another, as we equip ourselves to serve the community and, and those who are in our midst, welcoming them in, whatever it might be, that we get to do this all for the one who first served us. Another way this gal put her gratitude in action was through generosity. Uh, she brought her alabaster jar of perfume. This was before the days of Zara and Nordstrom's, Right? I think I'm right there, right? Is that where we get perfume? Uh, she couldn't just go out and buy it, right? Perfume, a big alabaster jar, was undoubtedly her very expensive and precious heirloom. Just a rare commodity. And what is she doing with it? Pouring it out on Jesus' feet. 
In fact, in one of the other gospel accounts, there's another gal who, who does a similar thing, and, the, and, and Jesus' disciples call him out on it. Like, Jesus, what are you doing letting this gal pour out this very expensive perfume on your feet? Can't we just sell that and give it to the poor? And Jesus responds, by the way, as somebody who spent his whole time hanging out with the poor, caring for the poor, loving the poor, saying, hey, you're going to always have the poor among you. What she's doing is a beautiful thing. There are times in which we express gratitude. We, we need to express it with either by serving him or just with generosity, loving and caring for him. That's why, by the way, every week when we take offering, we always say this is an act of worship. Um, does our giving to the church, your giving to the church, help us push the mission forward? Yes. Does it help us do the different things that we want to see and we, we long to see in the future? Yes. But first and foremost, giving to the Lord is an act of worship. In the oldest of days, going back to literally the first pages of the Bible, before coinage was even around, it talk, the Bible talks about how God's people would bring their first fruits. They would bring from their crops the first things and saying, God, well, you know, this all came from you anyways. We're just going to give back to you because we want to tangibly show that we love you and care for you. Um, so we show, our, we show our hearts of gratitude. We cultivate it by, by serving and being generous. That is, putting our, our, our gratitude to action. We do it by being humble. And then thirdly, we express gratitude by not being ashamed. Um, for some of you, this might be especially what, what we need to hear today. Living in the Bay Area, it, it's, it's easy to feel or act or not act out of shame when it comes to our relationship with God. Uh, this past Sunday, I got to preach in East Texas at, a, at a, one of our partner churches, which was a real privilege. And I had about 10 people come up to me after the service, a few of them even with tears in their eyes, all independently of each other, and they all essentially said the same thing. I was sharing stories about what God's been doing in the life of this church, just different fun things, just stories of God working in people's lives. And they came up to me and said, it is so amazing what God is doing through you guys as you live in the land of heathens. They didn't say that. They didn't say that. If you're listening, they didn't say that. They didn't say that. No, in an area that's not known for being terribly receptive towards Christianity, they didn't say that. Tears in their eyes. Sometimes following Jesus means to express our gratitude, just not being ashamed of him. You know, that's the thing that, frankly, in my study, impressed me the most about this gal who had a lot to impress me by. Luke mentions that she was a woman of the town, meaning everybody would have known who she was. Conversely, everybody would have known, herself included, who Simon the Pharisee was. Meaning, she would have known exactly what she was walking into as she was getting ready to wipe her tears on Jesus' feet and pour out this massive pot of perfume. She knew that she was getting ready to be judged. She knew she was getting ready to be looked upon, probably even used as an example of what not to do, which, by the way, Simon essentially did, and Jesus turned around. And yet she did it anyways. Um, just a beautiful picture of expressing gratitude and love and worship. Um, she went undeterred. Why? Because she had great love for Jesus. That's Jesus' words about her. Uh, Andrew, who plays uh, the drums up here, brought Cindy into his startup a few weeks ago to talk to a group of his Christian coworkers over lunch and, uh, and consider how they might live out their faith in the workplace. What an awesome thing. And they had such a great time that I think they're setting it back up to do it again in January. But this is just a beautiful thing. He shared that with Cindy uh, when he finally kind of worked it up, the, the courage to just kind of surface as a Christian there. He immediately found another dude who he really like, got, got to know well and just really got along with well, was also a Christian. Um, 
That's what we talk about in terms of surfacing as Christians. Sometimes what we just need to do is we don't need to find a soapbox and say, I'm Christian and you need to be too. It's just saying, hey, I, I believe in Jesus. Whatever that might look like by action, maybe even by word. Is surfacing easy all the time? Not always. Is it beautiful and worthwhile? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's more we could say there, but the, the fourth and final point is we express gratitude as response. Uh, this really is the thought that pulls it all together. This woman was not acting all of this out in a vacuum. She was not acting all of this out in response. Uh, she, was, she was acting this all out in response to who she understood Jesus to be, and Jesus honored that. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith had saved her. Again, Jesus is affirming the gospel. That is that none of us can save ourselves, but also that none of us are beyond hope. He was saying to her, essentially, your sin is great, yes, but my love is greater. And that, friends, is how Jesus feels about you and me. He loves you deeply. And what's left for us to do in all this? Well, it's just to live our life in response. The gospel is Jesus came to live in humility for you and me. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, sitting on his heavenly throne, left it. Why? To live among us, to die for us. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, Jesus humbled himself, even going to his death on the cross. He humbled himself for you and for me. Jesus expressed his love for us in action. There's no better verse in the Bible probably that summarizes this thought than Mark 10, 45, when Jesus said of himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. And the gospel is Jesus came not being ashamed of us. Hebrew, in, in, the, in the letter to the Hebrews, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Of course, we know that the act of crucif crucifixion for the Romans back then was to peg up that person on the tree so that the whole world would know that's a criminal and they deserve it. And yet Jesus did that with our sins pegging him there. When we were ashamed of him, when we rejected him, he was not ashamed to go even to the cross for us. That's the gospel. We each and every one of us have turned away, rejected him, have been ashamed of him, and yet he came to love and die for us. Uh, this is the God we serve and love and worship, the God who loves you when you don't deserve it, the God who came in humility and love and action to care and meet your greatest need, that is, bring you into a relationship with him. And so if you're here today and you have never received that, there's nothing else I'd hope for you to hear today other than the offer is there for you. In John's account, he says to all who believe in him, to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. You can receive him today. In fact, you can indicate this on your card, make a little note of it. There's a space for you to do that. We'd love to follow up with you in prayer, give you some resources, but you can make that step today. And then for those of you who have received Jesus, let's press into it this week. I mean, Thanksgiving week. How can we express, how can we cultivate hearts of gratitude? What might that look like in your life? What might it look like in the different spheres of your life, in the workplace, wherever it might be, in your neighborhood? To love Him, to express gratitude and humility in our interactions with folks, to put action behind our love and devotion to Him, and to not be ashamed. Let's serve the one who first served us. Let's, let's pray.
Father, our hearts are filled with gratitude. Lord, first of all, thank you so much for this example of this woman who just laid out her heart for you and that you saw it, you recognized, you blessed it. Lord, we thank you for that because at the end of the day, that's essentially each and every one of our hearts. And the moment we move away from that is the moment we start to miss out on what it is you've done for us. So, Lord, thank you for the way you've forgiven us our sins. If we've received you, and Lord, for those who have maybe never received you, or maybe they have just made a decision to receive you. Lord, would you minister to their hearts? Would you draw them close to you? But Father, we're so thankful, we're so grateful for you, for your love for us, the way you initiated care for us, the way you ultimately went to the cross to die for us, to bring us back home. Please help us be a a church of individuals, families, a people that lives from a heart of gratitude. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.